Welcome to the Impact Nations podcast, episode 522, The Mission Has a Church. When Jesus sends us out on mission, where should we go and who should go with us? What do we do when we get there? And how can we handle rejection? Today we'll find that Jesus has the answers to all those questions in Matthew chapter 10. Hello everyone. Good to be with you again on this series we're doing on the Gospel of Matthew. To my amazement, we are on week 22. Um, Today we're going to look at the first half of of chapter 10 because we've come through the Sermon on the Mount and then uh, the the chapter 8 and 9 on the healing ministry of Jesus. But now Matthew's taking us into the next phase of his gospel. This is, uh, there's five discourses, five times where Jesus speaks at length. This is the second discourse. It's called the mission discourse. And in all the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all report it. Uh, Again, we're going to see that, as we've seen before, that Matthew tends to be a little less detailed. Um, Luke, for example, gives us two accounts, chapter 9 and 10, that shine light on uh, on some of the key issues raised by Matthew. We're going to look at these in a few minutes. A couple of weeks ago, I was meeting with a young pastor, and uh, he was talking about um, uh, trying to get the church to be more missional. And I said something to him, and I think I surprised him. I said, you know, the church doesn't have a mission. And then I paused for dramatic effect, and he looked curious. I said, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. And the lights went on for him. And we've had a couple of talks about that since then. That the mission came first. And uh, and therefore, well, I can't put it better. The mission has a church. And um, we're going to look at the, the whole nature of, of this mission. If we doubt how central the mission is uh, for, for Matthew and his gospel, then, then just consider Jesus' final words at the very end of this gospel, which we call the Great Commission. And what I really want to stress today, as I teach you and we look at history and we look at contemporary, I want to teach you that mission uh, is at the very heart of Matthew's gospel. We see in today's chapter some of Jesus' discipleship method. And uh, I love to talk about this uh, in various places where I go, especially with pastors, and say, you know, Jesus didn't disciple the way we tend to disciple. We put a lot of emphasis on instruction, on teaching, and we I've got a bunch of books on in my shelf that have been there for some of them 40 years. And when you get to the end of this book, you'll be a disciple. Well, not so much, as I've said before. So how did Jesus do it? Yes, he taught. Of course, we just saw the Sermon on the Mount a month or two ago. But secondly, he taught by modeling and getting the disciples to imitate what he did. And then thirdly, he lived a welcome, inclusive life. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But we have here... um, a terrific example of modeling and imitation, because for some time now, the disciples have been watching Jesus. Uh, They've been watching him preach. They've been watching him demonstrate the kingdom. Uh, And I'm pretty sure it's very likely that he would have given them small and maybe growing opportunities uh, while 
they were with Jesus for them to try. But now this is a pivot point in in Matthew's gospel. They're about to imitate what they've seen, and they're about to go out, as it were, on their first field trip. This way of discipling is absolutely central to biblical discipleship. I I constantly, this week I've done it, if I'm going to go do ministry, I take somebody with me. I I have people, uh, not in a vague sense, I have specific people I'm discipling all the time, have have for decades, and I, I take them so they can watch and then I stepped back. I did that the other night. I just physically stepped back and said, now you do it. And they did great. So what's happening here in this shift in chapter 10 is the disciples are, are putting what they've heard into practice. They're about to move from theory to practice, from the ideal to the real. Uh, the word's going to become flesh. I love John 1.14. And as they do this, the kingdom is being multiplied. Remember, Jesus said it's like a mustard seed and it's like leaven. We're going to look at that in, in I don't know, another month or so. But um, it starts small, but the kingdom activity always multiplies and multiplies. You know, this this chapter, I want to encourage you to, to study it, to pray over it, to meditate. It is crucial for anybody who wants to truly follow Jesus, to follow his purpose and his way. I've told you before, following Jesus is more than believing in tenets of faith. It's following what he is doing and what he has done. So, with that in mind, as we look now at the chapter, I want you to realize that it is for the twelve, clearly, but it is just as much for us. So, let's look at the first few verses. Starting uh, chapter 10, verse 1. Summoning his 12 disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits. Notice that word, authority, exousia. Um, Over unclean spirits to drive them out and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So, we've got 12 12 apostles. In fact, uh, Matthew uses this word uh, for the first and I think only time. Uh, for them, calling them apostles. And and why did he call together 12 apostles? It's because it's a sign. There's something in the invisible realm. His intention is to summon all the 12 tribes of Israel, and this is the beginning. John Calvin said this, the number 12 indicated the coming restoration of the church, the birth of a new people, a new Israel. So really there we're seeing another example, as we've said so many times, literal, moral, and spiritual, or water to wine, we're seeing a great example that that Calvin picked up of water to wine. Jesus doesn't call anybody to mission without equipping them for it. It's really important that we get that. Um, And, you know, it's, it's interesting 
Matthew right here, as, as, he, as Jesus sending them out, he uses the very same word, uh, the same wording as describing his own Jesus mission in chapter 9 that we looked at last week. Matthew wants us, why is he doing this? He wants us to see that Jesus' healing ministry, which we just saw in chapters 8 and 9, has become the disciples' ministry. That's, that's what he means by, by giving them authority. Now, as I said in verses 2 to 4, this is the only time Matthew uses the word apostles in his gospel. And uh, when we look at the list, it's really interesting because there's a commonality with all four gospels. Peter is always first. Judas Iscariot is always last. The uh, apostles are always presented in three groups of four. Very interesting. Uh, Peter leads one, or at least he's the first name of the grouping. Philip's the first name of another grouping. James is, is at the head of another group. I just, as I read it, I'm wondering, is Matthew giving us a hint of how the disciples did ministry, that, that maybe they did it in smaller groups of four rather than 12, and, and that would make good sense. We don't know that for sure, but it's something that, that kind of jumped out. And when we list through here, you know, we've just got Peter and Andrew and James, and then Matthew, who wrote this, he doesn't just say Matthew, he does it again. He says, and Matthew, the tax gatherer. Again, he's reminding us of his past. He continues to be walking in humility. And, and this wonderful phrase, Matthew, the tax gatherer, teaches me, and I think teaches us, that ministry is done by by sinners, by by broken people who've been transformed by the grace of God. It is not done by those without problems. And I am so sorry to say that in our modern our modern Christianity, we we're so afraid of having problems that we hide them because we think if we have problems, it disqualifies us. That very phrase, Matthew the tax gatherer, should encourage every one of us, certainly encourages me. Now, another interesting in this grouping, you've got uh, you've got Simon the Zealot. In this, he's called the, the Canaanite, but uh, in the other list, he's called Simon the Zealot. Who are zealots? Well, they were militarily opposed uh, to Roman rule. Uh, they often even resorted to uh, to violence, like a violent resistance movement that we have going on in the world now. Um, and, and they hated the Romans. Well, what was Matthew the tax gatherer? He had been called out of being an employee of the Romans. Uh, Simon the Zealot would have seen him as a traitor. So I just want you to see in the grouping here, we have broken people. We have, you know, very, what we would now just say blue collar. We've got white collar. We've got them all. But among them, we've got this contrast. A, a zealot is as far removed from a tax gatherer as a, uh, a left-wing uh, militant would be now from a, a right-wing conservative. So even in this list... The Lord speaks to us. Jesus is able to take both left-wing and right-wing, both liberal and conservative thinking, and unite them to himself. Um, and by uniting them to himself, their hearts are united to each other. 
It's because of a higher calling that either left or right. That's why we mustn't fall into in any way a, uh, uh, comparing um, left or right-wing politics with following Jesus. And you know, another thing in this list, Judas Iscariot, who of course betrayed him, the presence of such a, a traitor in the Twelve reminds us of our weakness, uh, of our moral insecurity. Um, from the uh, 17th century, Matthew Henry said this, Christ took Judas among the apostles that he might not be a surprise and a discouragement to his church if at any time the vilest of scandals should break out in the best societies. In other words, if there's scandal in the church, we're grieved, we deal with it, but we shouldn't be surprised. So what do we have here? We have this incredibly diverse body of disciples, and it speaks to me of of the richness of diversity that Jesus intends for his church and always have. That's why Paul said to the Galatians, you know, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, and we could go on and on and on. The diversity of a healthy church has got the rich and the poor as brothers and sisters sharing life. It's racially diverse. My wife and I were were part of a church with 52 nations, and and all of this to me is uh, is represented, foreshadowed, if you were, in in the makeup of these 12 disciples. Well, now let's get on to their mission. Starting at chapter at verse five, Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions: Don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles, and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The the first consideration in mission is where to go, and by implication, where not to go. This is so important. Let me give you an example, vivid example. Um, Maybe three years ago, before COVID, I was leading a team from all over the world in North India with with, uh, my spiritual son, Randeep Matthews, there. And um, we were going to do a certain thing, and we couldn't. We got rained out the whole area. It was a beggar's colony, and it was just a sea of mud and river, and they all scattered. So we went back to where we were eating, and we, we had lunch. And Randeep started to teach us, but while he did, he had a circle of his young disciples, maybe six, seven of them, and they were over in the corner praying. And they were praying the whole time he taught. He probably taught for 45 minutes. And then he finished, he said, you're probably wondering what they're praying about. And I thought they were praying for him and his teaching. He he said, they're asking the Lord to show them specifically where we're supposed to go. And he called them over, and, and they each one began to share. And do you know what's interesting? The Holy Spirit directed them and us to a village where they'd never, ever been. Um, But he told them where it was. They knew the name from a signpost somewhere, but they'd never been there. And and so we went, and um, because of the, the leading of the Holy Spirit, we just walked. We said, he said, I don't want you to knock on any doors. I don't want you to call out. I don't want us to gather and sing. I just want you, two by two, just walk through the town. And let's see what the Holy Spirit has prepared. 
And do you know we spent the next hour and a half or two hours in house after house after house? Right now, I don't remember the exact number, but I'll bet about 14 different houses where they came to us. They would come to the gate and say, two of us walking and say, would you like to come in? It was powerful. And by the way, there are now a group of house churches in that village. We would call it a town. So the first thing is you got to know where you're going. Jesus' instructions about location to the 12th, these, these instructions are not general. They're specific to the 12th, and they apply to their situation. He's very specific in prohibiting them from, from taking the, what was a nearby road from there uh, up to Tyre and Sidon, which were Gentile areas, or over to the east to the Decapolis, which was also predominantly a Gentile area, or to the despised Samaritans to the south. Why did he say that? Well, the first reason I think is practical. To keep the scope of the mission from becoming so large as to be overwhelming or or to just dilute its uh, effectiveness. Um, It was interesting to me about not going to the Samaritans because we kind of know chronologically from John's Gospel, chapter 4, they'd been to a Samaritan village and to their amazement, there was incredible fruit, an incredible harvest, and uh, historic. So they knew if they went to the Samaritans, it would work. He said, don't go back there. Um, you see, he was, he was being strategic with them. And, and I, we know he was concerned about the Gentiles and the Samaritans. He had meaningful encounters with them elsewhere in the Gospels. But he had a specific aim, a particular mission for the Twelve at this time. So it was practical. I also think there was a theological meaning. Jesus came, of course, as the fulfillment uh, of Israel's Messiah. He would come as the Messiah, the Redeemer. And so the mission begins with Israel. It begins with the Jews. And only later will it go to other nations. You know, the early church fathers believed that by Jesus' restriction of the twelve to not go to the Gentiles, but only to the Jews, that Matthew was telling his church, and remember I told you he was probably from the church in Antioch, and of course it was written a generation later, but he was telling his audience um, and the Jews to know, listen, Israel, the Jews were given a fair opportunity. This, they got the first chance at responding to the gospel. And by and large, they didn't do so. St. Jerome said this, It was necessary to announce the coming of Christ first to the Jews, lest they have a good excuse, saying, We rejected the Lord because he sent his apostles to the Gentiles and the Samaritans first. So another thing we see in this passage, he says, Keep going. Keep going to the lost sheep of Israel. This phrase is active. It, It stresses continuing mission. And this I know. Um, there is a great tendency for us to settle, to just kind of settle down. We do something and we get comfortable and we stay settled. This was the case through the early church. Um, You know, they were told to go out to the nations and they didn't. They stayed in Jerusalem. You can read about it until until, uh, Acts 8, the great persecution arose and then they scattered. So he knew this human tendency. So he said, keep going. He sent them especially to the lost sheep. 
And I think this is more than just saying, well, all Israel are the lost sheep. I think he's saying, go and pay special attention to the outcast, uh, the religious and social outsiders. This is who he sent the 12 to. And I think it is a clear lesson for us. You know, what's really interesting to me, and it's so counterintuitive and countercultural, but a mark of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels is that he went to the unimpressive. He didn't go to the key people. He went to the little people. They were at the center of his care and attention. Uh, I, I needed to learn it, and then I needed to hold on to that, that that's where we go. And it's, it amazes me how often it spills over to, you know, key people, etc. But But they come to us. Our attention is on the little people. It's on those outsiders. <sighs> Even within his group, the 12, there's, there's no religious experts there. They're just regular folks. Another thing I really wanted to point out to you in this, there's an immediacy. Get going. And this reminds me of a phrase, maybe you've heard it, we've, we've had it in our ministry for years when I was a church planner, we had it, we even had t-shirts. Instead of saying, ready, aim, fire, our t-shirt said, ready, fire, aim. And, uh, and I think that, that that's a great little picture of the immediacy of, of doing mission, ministry with Jesus. You know, uh, we looked a few weeks ago at uh, chapter 9, verse 13, but go and learn what this means. I, I desire mercy and, and not sacrifice religious activity. But just even in that phrase, go and learn, he doesn't say learn, and when you've learned enough, go. His effective strategy is, no, we go, ready, fire, aim. And this counters that natural tendency we all have to settle in. That's why he said to the disciples in John 4, don't say four months till the harvest. Don't say soon we'll be ready. Don't say we just need more training. We've got to read another few books. He, he says, no, it's now. There's an immediacy. And I've shared in churches and among pastors in many, many nations that I think the enemy's, one of his principal strategies, maybe his principal strategy of all, with the church is in one word, soon. Soon you'll know enough. Soon you'll be ready. Soon you will have raised enough money. Soon, soon, soon. Today is the day of salvation, is what the scripture says. So the next question he gives us is, is besides where do we go, what do we do when we get there, when we're doing it? Verse 7, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with leprosy in our day, AIDS, HIV, AIDS, and drive out demons. As you go is, is literally as you go along. There's movement in mission. And what we have here in these two verses, I think, is the heart of his assignment to us. Number one is proclaim. Proclaim that the kingdom of the heavens has come. Proclaim that heaven has come, that everything is changing. The reality of heaven has and is breaking in to this present earthly reality. And this was the central message I've told you through this series. The message of the gospel of the kingdom was Jesus' central message. There wasn't anything else he talked about remotely as much. It needs to be our central message. 
Jesus or the kingdom is about the restoration of life as God intended it to be. Now let's have a look at Luke 4, 18 and 19. You know, I used to have these two verses permanently stamped into our church bulletins for, for years. Jesus, this is his, his first sermon in Luke's account. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the proclamation of the kingdom. This is what we proclaim. This is what we carry. This is the reversal of the work of the enemy. It's good news to the poor. We say at Impact Nations all the time, if it's not good news to the poor, then it's not good news. And he's called me to to proclaim uh, freedom to the captives or to the prisoners. I used to think this was spiritual language, and it is, but there's a literal sense. You know, by the grace of God, I, I, well, indirectly, I know over 7,000 prisoners who shouldn't have been in prison in Kenya are now out through what the Lord let us do. Uh, and indirectly, uh, maybe a thousand. So, so I just want you to see this gospel is big and it's powerful and it's not theoretical. If anything happens out of today's teaching, I want to awaken us to move us from theory to practice. Remember the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, chapter 7, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice builds his house, his life upon the rock. So what's this about? It's, it's about bringing it to be. Um, it's, it's freedom to those who are trapped by hopelessness and by oppression. It's, it's healing. It, it's, it's the year of the Lord's favor, which, by the way, meant jubilee. He said, jubilee has come. You know, I was sharing about this beautiful gospel at, at lunch with a friend uh, well, two friends a week ago, and she she looked at me and with in intensity she said, "Huh, oh, is the gospel too good to be true?" And of course it isn't. It's that it's way better news. It's way more powerful. It's way more immediate. So proclamation is the first part of the assignment. The second is demonstration. He says, "Demonstrate the works of the kingdom. Heal the sick." That, that proclamation is to be accompanied by demonstration. This is the assignment. When I step out, and, you know, I had to start doing this 40 years ago, and, and, and I'd step out and say, now Jesus is going to heal you, that, that gets your heart fluttering a little bit. But when we demonstrate what we've just preached, there is a, 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 an incredible synergy. It's like an explosion. Listen, this is our assignment. Every healing, uh, every time someone receives Christ, the gospel of the kingdom, every one of those is taking back from the enemy what belongs to God. Acts 10.38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power And how he went about, you see the action there, he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. You know, this week we got a chance to put Ready Fire Aim into practice just in a small way. My wife and I and and, uh, three of our friends, um, I wanted to go out and just give some cold water. It's been really hot here. 
And uh, so after supper, we just got some water. I, I put it in the freezer, and we and we went out, and we went, um, and I didn't research. I didn't have a great plan. I didn't have a great plan at all, but I just thought, let's just go do it. Go and learn. And so we just went with the water. You know what happened? Uh, we went into parks. The water was received by every single person. When we said, hey, could we pray a, a short blessing? Every single person said yes. Hey, do you need prayer for anything else? Many of them said yes. We had a powerful, I think it was a divine encounter with a homeless vet. And uh, there was healing prayer for for his body. And he had many ailments, but also his soul. There was so much pain, as is true with so many vets. And we prayed for him and prayed. And the Holy Spirit came on him and he wept and wept and wept. None of that would have happened unless we said, let's go out with some water and just see what God does. So how do we do mission? Verses 8 to 10. Give as freely as you've received. Take no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for laborers deserve their food. (laughs) Jesus is now addressing economic issues as they relate to mission. Really, I think what he's saying at the heart of this is don't use ministry for commercial ends to materially get ahead. Uh, It did not cost, he tells him in 10.8, you got it for free. It didn't cost you anything to get this gospel, to get my help. It should not cost the people. It shouldn't cost Israel. It shouldn't cost everyone you encounter on this mission trip. Anything to get your help. You know, I want this is just a bit of a shift in tone. But truthfully, if we are honest, if we take the, the blinders off, these words of Jesus can serve as an indictment to ministries and churches that spend a lot of time and effort on fundraising for the sake of their own ministry. We we raise funds. We do. I'm sure you know many organizations that raise funds for the sake of the needy. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus is saying, don't get caught up by economic temptations and the standards of society. We go all the way back to two months ago. You can't serve God and mammon or money. I've had this memory in my head all week, and I like to give you positive stories, but this is this is my rhetoric. This is me trying to shake you up a little bit. Uh, we took a team into Manila, which is the capital of the Philippines, and uh, we were going, <clears throat> excuse me, to the the poorest slum uh, in in all of Manila, and you, I don't even know if you could imagine how poor it was. Um, I wrote about it in the first book when everything changes. But here's my point. Our our contact through our translator slash contact, her contact was this church. So we parked in the parking lot and out we came and the pastor came out and greeted us. And then he took us in to this incredible, incredible church. I'm not kidding. It, it looked like marble floors. There were pillars. It was incredible. And then he took me around and showed me their latest state-of-the-art recording studio, and on and on and on, okay? Well, we finished that, and we went into the slum. And I'm not going to take time to describe how terrible it was, but it was terrible. Sick, hungry people, children, whole generations not going to school. And then I found out that 
from them, they'd never heard of this church. It was right there. It was like 400 yards away. And they didn't know anything about about it. So I stopped saying anything about it. We just carried on with ministry. When I got back, I said, are you doing anything in that community? And, and, and uh, you know, the pastor said, oh, no, that's, that's not who we are. I share that painfully because I don't want to have an indictment against some other pastor. I don't know all that was going on in his life. I don't know any more than what I just told you. But this example, as I was reading this about not taking things and about it's, it's, it's don't get caught up by economic temptations, not individually and not as churches. So he's warning them to, to never make acquiring money a goal of mission. Why do I get that? Because there's two interpretations of the of the Greek language. And some of your Bibles will say, take no gold or silver. And others will say, acquire no gold or silver nor copper for your belt. Now, uh, a, a wonderful theologian, R.T. France, uh, as I read through, you know, a bunch of different commentaries and theologians, I I agreed with him that the language, the Greek language, points toward don't acquire. Jesus isn't saying go barefoot and half naked on this trip. He's saying carry what you can carry, but don't be out acquiring special equipment. Don't have a big fundraising. Just get on with it. It's assuming basic clothing and shoes and basic equipment, a a walking staff. It's this additional provision to find security and having more that is forbidden. So really in the language, you could translate it, don't ever try to get these things. So again, the church fathers, they saw saw some really uh, key truths about following Jesus on this ministry assignment. Hillary said this, those once earthbound now become heaven-centered. He, for him, it, this is just, it's freedom to take none of that. Jesus is helping them through this instruction to free them from the things of the earth. He's helping them to further serve God and not mammon. St. Jerome said this, Thus as the apostles and teachers of true religion taught that all things were governed by providence— that is, the care and will of God, they show they are not concerned about what tomorrow will bring. Jesus, with these instructions, is teaching them to trust the Father. What he said to them in the Sermon on the Mount for three chapters, he now is calling them, put it into practice. Remember the end of chapter 6, Don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He taught them that. Now he's saying, walk it out. Let me give you another couple of quotes. One from Hillary. Take no wallet for your journey. Leave behind any concern for worldly goods. When he says, take no staff in your hand, that is the possession of external power. A staff, like a scepter, is a sign, I've got power. He says, leave it behind. Leave it behind. Don't go with any sense of of lording it over. Any sense of, I'm going to grow 
in reputation in this town or village. Stay low. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Again, there it is. And I, uh, I really enjoyed this quote from Christostom. The laborer deserves his food. Jesus just said that. His meaning is that you will be given food in due season insofar as you are worthy of it. In other words, as you are doing the work of mission, as you are following Jesus faithfully in this, and you will be worthy of it if you ask for nothing beyond mere necessities. Isn't that interesting? He says you will be worthy of it in due season, and you'll be worthy if you don't ask for anything. I think these are great examples I just gave you of of reading Scripture at the moral level, remember, which is how can this make me more Christ-like? Well, got to move ahead here. So with whom do we do mission? Jesus is taking them through so clearly on this. Verse 11 to 13, when you enter any town or village, find out who is worthy and stay there until you leave. Greet a household when you enter it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace be on it. But if it is unworthy, let your peace return to you. This means that that mission is supposed to have a base, a a place of stability. This is so important for us. Even on on the macro, at Impact Nations, we build, we find that that house of peace, that person that God has prepared, and we build relationship, sometimes for a year before ever we then go on mission. So, a place of stability. And, and, And then when God gives it to you, Jesus says, make this base as long as you're in town. So what's he saying? He's telling us what's important is simplicity, economic simplicity, stability. This is, this is being tactical. The, these are the mission methods that Jesus gives. Now, I, I want to jump over to Luke um, because, and we're going to go to Luke 10, which is actually where Jesus sends out the 72, uh, probably the 12 were among them. This was like the second mission trip, but what Luke did was he combined the, ins- the mission instruction into two chapters, and it's very helpful for us. So, uh, Luke 10, verse 5, whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. Um, if those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Do not move around from house to house. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. Well, I'm going to move fairly quickly through this. But the first thing is, whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. Um, There's... He's, he sees, uh, Christostom rather, sees uh, in this simple greeting uh, a moral direction given through Matthew. Jesus is saying, and I'm quoting Christostom now, do not, because you are teachers or elders or leaders, etc., do not therefore wait to be saluted by others, but be first in showing respect. We stay low. We take the humble place, and we're the first to show respect. So this takes us back to the humility of the Beatitudes. And the greeting, peace be with you, was filled with great significance, shalom, in Jewish culture. Uh, with this greeting, they're, they're releasing a blessing 
It isn't just a nice thing to say. A peace greeting is conferring blessing, and that blessing in this context, it's like a a summary of the salvation message. Um, The disciples are being sent out with the wonderful news that that the kingdom has come, that Israel's long-awaited Messiah has arrived. And so when people accept this greeting of peace, it means they're accepting the message of the good news. Luke uses the term house of peace, sometimes man of peace. But what is the house of peace? It's really vital, folks, really vital. Um, It's the place that the Holy Spirit has prepared for us before ever we've arrived. Remember, I gave you the example a little while ago of of Matthew's, uh, of uh, Randeep's team praying, uh, where are we supposed to go? That we went to the places that the Holy Spirit had already prepared for us. Prayer and prayer walking is so important in mission. It is vital in mission. The Holy Spirit goes before us ahead of the mission. He prepares the soils of the hearts that we're going to encounter. And it's because of that that our greeting of peace is received. Now, this house of peace, it might be a house of influence. I've seen it be that. But but not necessarily. But I promise you, it is always a place of hospitality, a place of welcome. And it is always a place in a neighborhood where you don't know anybody, but you come into that territory, it's the place in that neighborhood that the neighbors know and they're comfort comfortable to be there. And God has already prepared a whole network of relationships through this house of peace. One time, my son Tim and I, we were uh, on a journey of compassion, and it's a long story, but the short part is this. As God was doing incredible things in this town, um, we prayed, we were praying for the sick. He and I just went for a walk out in, the, out in the alleys and we were praying for the sick, had a translator, of course, and God started healing. And a lady said, please come, please come. And we prayed for her and the Lord healed her. And then she said, would you come in my house? I'd like to make you tea. And so, of course, you always say yes, right? And uh, we went in. We started just meeting and visiting a little bit. There was just her little family, and the people started coming and coming and coming till the place was packed. I'm delighted to tell you that today that house is a church. So how do we identify the house of peace? You know, I used to walk around looking and looking before ever I went to India. Where's the house of peace? Where's the house of peace? I don't know what I was looking for, a spotlight or something. Here's how you identify the house of peace. Or the person of peace. It's the place that invites you in. That's so easy, isn't it? Remember, we're not preparing the way for God. He's preparing the way for us. Jesus says, and then when they invite you in, don't go around from house to house. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Do not hesitate to accept hospitality, because those who work deserve their pay. And if you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Okay, you've found the place that God has prepared for you. They've invited you in. Don't be looking for the next place. Just stay there. It's a place of favor. It's a place that has been prepared. When you were invited in, folks, I don't care whether it's America, Canada, Australia, Uganda, India, wherever, when you were invited in, you always say yes. 
because hospitality is one of the greatest connectors of lives there is. Yeah, I remember a few years back in, in our town when I was living in Canada, just so you don't think this is only for, you know, India or Africa. Um, I was in a coffee shop, got talking to two, uh, two gals, and they said, would you like to come over to our house? I said, well, yes, sure, I'd love to. And I went over, and I started just talking to them about the Lord, telling them stories, you know, just stories from around the world. And a couple more people came in, and I'm just talking. And I noticed that one of them would just leave. And at first I thought, oh, I guess they're not interested. And then they'd come back and sit, and more people would come. And then they'd go out and leave. And I found out later what they were doing was they were going into the kitchen. I was in the living room. With the door shut, they were saying, you've got to come over. You've got to hear this. You know, just from that little saying, yes, I ended up with 22 people I got to share Christ and pray with. So please, it's remember, it's a place of favor. And uh, the very fact that they're giving you uh, food and, and drink is an expression that they are valuing you and valuing this time. And he said, heal the sick. Because the house of peace has already been prepared by the Lord for you. It's a place, uh, a place where there's incredible anointing. I promise you that. There's something supernatural that happens. Yes, people are comfortable at the house of peace in that neighborhood. The Holy Spirit knew that, but you didn't. And so you end up being there and they're comfortable, but there's something supernatural. I was in a Roma, that's like a gypsy village in Bulgaria, uh, last year, the year before last. I get mixed up because of COVID, that lost year in terms of mission. But um, the overseas mission. I'll talk about local mission in a minute. But anyway, uh, I saw a woman. Uh, Can I pray for you? Uh, I prayed for her. She was healed. She had a terrible back. She was limping. So she invited me in. What did I say? Yes, thank you. And suddenly my schedule didn't matter. I was supposed to be getting in a car and driving to Plobdev, but suddenly it didn't matter. And um, and I was there, and she said, can you come back this evening? I said, sure. And I drove. It was about 45 minutes each way. Came back that night, and her house was filled. And there were so many who were healed. And I think all of them, or close to all of them, came to Christ. The power the power of the house of peace. I could say so much more about that, but I see I'm running a little long today. He goes on to, how do we handle it when we get rejected? He says, but if it's unworthy, verse 13, uh, if the house is unworthy, let your peace return to you. If anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town, that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Wow. Well, we'll get there in a minute. Jesus is being realistic with the disciples. There are going to be unresponsive, un, unreceptive, responsive people and, and even neighborhoods. There's hard ground places. I've been to so many of them. But we must not think that that, that means the mission has failed. Let your peace return to you. You know, that blessing is, it's not a wish, but it's a gift. It's doing something supernaturally. And then he says, shake the dust off your feet. Well, I've had so many people, they get all excited about that. Well, I'm going to just, it's, a, it's just an idiom. It's just a phrase 
that first century Jews knew. And, and, and it all, it, all it really means is just don't worry about it. Don't let it bother you. Just carry on. Just carry on. See, we're so afraid of rejection for our faith, and the Lord isn't at all afraid about it. Notice, we, we, it's not an individual, you shake the dust off that person. No, it's, it's, it's about houses, it's about towns. It's just, it's just move on, that's all. It's, don't stand out there and bang your feet. It's an idiom. And then he says in verse 15, Truly I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. A couple of things here. Mission is very serious business. He's getting their attention. The stakes are huge. That's why we're to remain faithful to what Jesus tells us to do. We've got to keep mission as a primary activity of ministry. And that's why Jesus is using rhetoric. We've taught you about rhetoric. Intentional exaggeration. It's to awaken them, to shake them up, and to shake us up too. Okay, so we see this progression of mission through Matthew's gospel. Uh, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to be salt and light. Now he's saying this thing is so significant. Uh, either, either you find the house of peace and the gospel moves and the people are healed, or, or he, he uses rhetoric to say, or if they reject you, it's got like this terrible significance like Sodom. And then, of course, the the worldwide mission given at the end. Jesus is positioning the disciples as the most important people in the world doing the most important work in the world. The cosmic significance is huge. This is not an add-on. This is what it means to follow Jesus. And so what's he doing? He's giving them ultimate significance. Everybody needs security and significance. I've taught that many times to you before. He's giving them ultimate significance. So let's wrap this up. You know, God is, amazingly, he's led me into a, a life of an awful lot of overseas mission, uh, more, than, uh, more than three decades of it. And I started in Russia, got there the day the Soviet Union was dissolved, the week the Soviet Union was dissolved. Um, mission and evangelism uh, continue to be sustained in my life. I'm doing stuff, you know, I, but I want you to know what's in me doesn't come from those trips I get to take. Now I don't get to take too many of them, neither do you. It is sustained in my life by the small things. It's, it's the things that I do locally without a lot of planning. Nothing keeps my commitment to the gospel alive in my heart like engaging on a regular basis in kingdom activity here at home. I don't want you to think this is a talk about go to Africa. Go to Africa if you want. This is, the key to this is keep it simple. So some final thoughts. Number one, remember. Jesus has given us authority to preach and to demonstrate, to heal and to set free. He's given us authority. Number two, when we do these things, we are moving in the rhythm of the kingdom, and so we can expect both empowering and favor. And I could tell empowering and favor stories all day long. Number three, the church doesn't have 
a mission. The mission has a church. Mission is crucial to the life of any church or ministry. Crucial. It deserves our collective commitment. Uh, Jesus sent his disciples out. He didn't tell them, stay in the buildings. He didn't say, find a, a false security in maintaining the status quo. The church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. Number four, mission is shared activity. Jesus sent them out in twos. The the early church sent out teams. Shared mission sustains us. There's mutual encouragement. there's, There's shared pain. Various spiritual gifts working together. There's creativity. This week when I went out with with five of us and, and I we went to a place and there was hardly anybody there and I thought, oh, maybe we need to go home. And somebody else on the team said, oh, Let's go to this particular park. It was about five miles away we went, and that's where we had that wonderful encounter I told you about. It's creativity. Number six, mission can be hard. You're going to face rejection. You're going to face fatigue. You're going to face, uh, I've called it the invisibility of fruitfulness. We think nothing's happened. But remember Mark 4, 28, the kingdom is like the guy who puts the seed in the ground and he goes away and he doesn't see anything, and all by itself it produces a harvest. Number six, kingdom uh, mission is central to Matthew's gospel. Jesus began with mission. He calls his first disciples with mission. Here we've got it in the middle of the gospel and at the, the climax, Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I'm going to finish with a terrific quote from Michael Green. Jesus' authorization commissions these disciples. Jesus' example directs them. Jesus' name determines their acceptance or rejection. Mission is Jesus-shaped. Went a little long today, but we're in my wheelhouse right now, folks. And uh, my hope is that, that something is stirred, that, that there's, there's brought either encouragement or conviction or something. Uh, it's about invitation and challenge. Well, great to be with you. Um, we've got a good friend of ours, Cherith Nordling, coming next week. We love her. And about four months ago, we had her on, and it was fantastic. And she's going to come and give her insights on this section of the last four chapters uh, three chapters of Matthew. So next next week, you don't want to miss Cherith. I'm going to sign off right now and in uh, stick around because just in a minute or so, Tim will sit down with me and we'll talk about some of the implications. God bless you. Now what? The gospel is meant to be lived. We now invite you to be a part of the discussion as we talk about how to apply this teaching. YouTube viewers can use the comment section below. You can also email your questions and comments to podcast at impactnations.com. Preach it. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) I don't mind you going long. That's good stuff. Oh, I found my glass. Oh, oh, he's knocking over stuff in the studio, making a mess. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Thanks for that. I really... I don't actually have many questions today, which is probably good based on the time, but uh, I... 
That was good. You're preaching it today. <laughs> uh, we're having some fun around here, by the way. I should say there's been a lot of energy in this in this house. Yes, there has in the last 24 hours. Yep. Um, we're uh, there's just so much going on. It's incredible. I, I want to talk a little bit about Haiti. Is that cool if we do that? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So Haiti. It uh, Haiti was struck with an earthquake, 7.2 magnitude, just off the southern coast of Haiti on uh, Sunday, on, I think. Uh, it? Saturday morning. Saturday morning. And uh, we've got a couple of friends down there. A couple of uh, ministries we've partnered with. Uh, one of them's a little further north. Uh, I emailed her. She's okay. Um, but the other uh, is our friend Reg, and he's got a ministry down in the south. And uh, sent an email to Reg on Saturday. I think you and I both instinctively just reached out to our brother yeah. just to see how he was doing. And he said, mm, shaky, but, you know, my family's okay and our, our ministry's all right. Um, he gave me a call two mornings ago, uh, Tuesday morning, and said, hey, uh, I just want to make you aware if there's any way you can help. He says, we have got hundreds of people coming to our property. They've got this kind of just wide open field, no structure on it whatsoever. There's a basketball court and they've been just preaching the gospel there, just bringing, bringing the good news uh, to the community of Lakai, Haiti. And uh, he said, we've got hundreds of people who have lost their homes. They have nothing. They have no, no food, no shelter. Uh, he thought quick, brought in a tractor trailer so people could sleep uh, with some covering. Because, of course, don't forget, there's a tropical storm that parked itself right over the southern, southern and, Haiti and as another, well. Another one coming right now. Yeah. Um, so he said, hey, is there any way that Impact Nations could help us uh, provide for these people, get some basic shelter and some food. Uh, and I said, well, let's see what we can do. So we whipped up uh, just a very, very quick fundraising campaign. Just let the Impact Nations family know. Uh, probably most of you listening now have, have already heard about that, have mm -hmm. seen video or, or read my email. Um, we sent that out yesterday afternoon. And wouldn't you know it, I, I just hit refresh before I walked in here. In a little over 24 hours, we have seen over $18,000 come in. Wow. Uh, and that's going to be enough to build two shelters uh, that will house uh, about 100 people, 50 people in each shelter, um, and then provide meals for uh, about 500 people for several days. Um now, if you're feeling bad because you're worried you missed it, you did not. Our goal was twenty thousand. I set that because you, you you pick a number. I said to I said to Reg, can you get me a a budget real quick? He said, well, um, you know, it's going to cost about fourteen thousand dollars or so to get these two structures built. Material is very very expensive in Haiti, by the way. Um, and then it's about a dollar a meal in Haiti, he said. So, Which is about four or five times as much as yeah. in Uganda. Yeah, it's about four times as much as what we've been doing on average the last year. Um, all over the world. Uh, <clears throat> but he said, Hey, uh, just whatever you can send. He says, I, I did 300, I did meals for 300 people today and there's hundreds more waiting. And I, you know, I don't know what we're going to do, but God bless him. He just kept doing it. Uh, he has been sleeping in his car cause he has no house on that structure. It's, it, he lives, I don't know how far away he lives from there, but not close. Uh, so he sleeps in his car. Uh, last night he, I talked to him again this morning. He said there was an aftershock in the middle of the night and those whose houses hadn't yet collapsed were suddenly very fearful. Of course, when they felt the aftershock and they ran and they fled to his field and are sleeping on that basketball court with no shelter. Then it started to rain. Things are very dire. Um, yeah, they are. Yeah. I, I saw last night uh, on the American news that there's there's no infrastructure. Remember, just uh, last month, the president was assassinated. Yeah. There, there's just chaos. Yeah. So there has been no no 
government help aid no no helping to to clear houses or rubble and there's just rubble everywhere yeah. and uh so there's no other source of yeah. of help yeah uh, we're delighted as you said we're just like over the moon we can't believe you guys <laughs> just keep blowing our doors off yeah uh one of the amazing just another demonstration of God's grace and goodness is that the wire transfer, I was able to send funds. We Remember, I sent an email out yesterday afternoon. By this morning, I was already wiring funds to Haiti, like a lot of funds. About $14,000 went out this morning. Uh, and typically, you know, in this business, we tend to, for larger sums like that, we usually look at about five business days at least for it to get somewhere. I was expecting with Haiti, the way things are, it would go slower than that. Instead, all indications suggest that uh, the funds will be there by the end of today, and he'll be able to start making withdrawals tomorrow morning and and get get the materials. Uh, You said it. I want to just echo it. Um. If you want to give, uh, the the twenty thousand was just a target to start. Yeah, we there are hundreds and hundreds of people yeah. with no shelter, but we're working on the shelter mm-hmm. part, but no food. Yeah, and um, so what you give will become food in their mouths and in their stomachs very, very, quickly. very, yeah. very quickly. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, impactnations.com slash Haiti. Uh, we'll get you right there. You can read very quickly what we've already told you, but right at the bottom of the page, you can give. Uh, and it, it's just when you, by the way, when you give to feeding people at impact nations, 100% of those funds yep. just go straight to food. So we don't, we don't hold any of that we back. Cover for, the wiring for, fees yeah, and any, nothing. It all, all goes stuff. into food. Yeah. And as you shared last week, there was an example where someone called up and uh, said, I want to give. That was, what was last week? Was that Columbia? <laughs> Columbia, yes. Yeah, it was Columbia. Yeah, that's right. So last week, um, we we talked to our partners in Columbia and said, hey, we, we would like to continue to feed the hungry if you've got the hungry. We've got a little bit. Uh, can you put together a little plan for how we could demonstrate the gospel and i love what you were preaching today about you know there's got to be proclamation and demonstration and so demonstration right now in colombia means showing up with bags of groceries for the starving for the hungry people saying hey god loves you here's some food can i pray for you how can we how can we be blessing your family this week and so uh our friend carlos in colombia said yes here's a plan i've got six teams standing by that are ready to distribute 50 food packets each uh, and the budget will be around five thousand U.S. dollars, and I was like, "Oh, great!" And that's, isn't that a, like thirty thousand meals or something? Uh, it was thirty-one thousand five hundred meals. Wow! Uh, and <clears throat> this is where you know being led by the Spirit uh, is so so key because you've got to just you got to listen for those promptings of the Holy Spirit. And uh, just in full transparency, five thousand dollars was one thousand dollars more than we had available in our feeding fund at the time. Uh, now when you give to where most needed at impact nations, that's where we draw from. It's like, Ooh, we need something right now. So I, I really felt like the Lord just said, Hey, let's do this thing together. And so we, I said to Carlos, I said, all right, let's do it. And we started working on getting the money sent to Columbia. Uh, and you know, we $1,000 shortfall and that evening, uh, a gift for exactly 1000 us dollars showed up totally unbeknownst to anybody, uh, just arrived in our, in our feeding fund. And then the phone started ringing and other large donations started coming in and we're going to be able to feed people in Uganda, uh, for a little while longer yet. Um, so I just 
uh, Impact Nation's family, you're, it's just amazing. What a privilege to be a part of, of what God is doing here. It's really We're having a lot of fun here are. right now. Yeah. Speaking of having fun, are you looking forward to Cherith coming next week? I'm really excited about Cherith coming. That was fun last... Now, I got to say, there are some people that are just really easy to interview. She's one of them. You just kind of throw a couple of words out there. I remember last time I asked like a terribly worded question. I didn't even understand what I was asking. And she ran with it. And it was like 20 minutes of pure gold. And I just sat back like, whoa. Oh, yeah. So bring your notebooks next week. It's fantastic stuff. Great. Anything you want to say or ask about... Uh what i shared today let's talk just a wee bit about the where that was where you began was like you got to know where where the lord is sending you and you but then you finished that section by saying ready fire aim don't sit around forever just making preparations and those two things we need to hold those intention uh because if the lord's sending us somewhere we need to spend the time listening to find out where he's sending us it, do we run into the risk of uh, paralysis by analysis? Of yes. Just, you know, sitting at the red light or at the green light waiting. <laughs> I don't know if God's telling me to turn left or right. What do I, I do? I was behind that lady today. <laughs> I was. Um, absolutely. We've got to hold them in tension, but we got to lean toward ready, fire, aim. Look at the wording and what I've covered today. Yeah. It's keep moving, keep moving, go. Um, but when you go, you say, okay, where, Lord, where, Lord, where, mm-hmm. Lord? You know, I I felt a, a real sense uh, on Sunday, get out to the park with some water and pray for people. That I mean, that's a simple thing. Anybody yeah. can do that. So I called a few friends and, and said, let's go, except that on Monday, we were in monsoon season, so it was bad. So we went Tuesday. So we went as soon as we could go. We got in the car. And I headed toward a place, I thought, maybe it's here. I didn't have a strong, but maybe it's here. Mm -hmm. And we got there, and it wasn't there. We looked around, there's hardly anybody. And then somebody in the team said, let's go to that other park that I mentioned. And we went, and we had divine encounters that the Lord had prepared. If we'd stayed home, let's have a prayer meeting about if we should (laughs) give water away. Or let's have a prayer meeting about the most effective places. No, mm-hmm. ready, fire, aim. Yeah, and uh, but as I we went, okay, Lord, we didn't get that right. Where do you want us to go? And we ended up yeah. over there. I'm reminded of that story in Acts where uh, Paul is going out on that missionary trip, and then he he says like the spirit of Christ prevented them from going to one place. Yeah, uh, I wonder if sometimes like if we can just trust the Lord, will keep us from going to the wrong place. As we step out, he's going to guide our steps, and oftentimes through circumstance. Because uh, Luke doesn't actually tell us what he means by that when he says that. And I don't remember which chapter of Acts that is. Forgive me. But uh, he doesn't tell us what he means by the Spirit of Christ prevented us from going to that place. But I've always assumed it was some sort of circumstantial thing, like they they missed their bus or something. I've like thought it, they just get uneasy. Mm. You know, um Today, um, today, your mother, who happens to be my wife, <laughs> was getting all set to go meet with some people, and she just felt like the Holy Spirit said no. Wow. She was so surprised. Huh. So she said, I, I can't come today. Yeah. So that's just a little example. All right. So practically speaking, if that's not a... a Normal experience for some of our listeners. No. How do they, how do we get there? Like, how do we reach that place of being sensitive to the Holy Spirit where um, 
Or or should we expect that? Is it more of a, it'll come by surprise and he'll get your attention yes. when he needs to? Yeah, I was just sharing that with somebody last okay. week. So I we don't he, need to worry about the fact yeah. that we're missing out or he we're tuning into the wrong frequency. He knows how to frequency. speak to you. He knows how to speak to me and, and Isaiah. And, and it's not the same for everybody. Yeah. So that's it. The biggest thing is following Jesus, which I talked about a few weeks yeah. ago. It's not agree with this doctrinal statement. Right. It's not a statement of faith at all. Mm-hmm. It's a life of faith <laughs> that is active. Mm-hmm. And and he said, go. He never said, stay. He yeah. said, go. The only time he ever said, stay, was wait in the upper room. And 10 days later, there was the great sending of Pentecost. Yeah. Other than that, he's, he's saying, there's work to do. Yeah. Because this mission is vital. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think... You titled off something I said today that the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a the church. The mission has a church. Yeah. If we could get that, it's profound. It would, it would change the way we do church, and we would be all about purpose beyond ourselves. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, keep preaching it, uh, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to Cherith next week, but I'm also looking forward to the conclusion of Matthew 10, and uh, just. Really enjoying this. (laughs) The conclusion. Uh, And actually, I I may as well tell people we're going to be pre-recording some of those because you and I are taking off uh, to Bulgaria. Bulgaria. We're going to work with the one country that would let us in right now. The only one. (laughs) We'll go. Yeah. Uh, So I'm looking forward to coming back with some stories about that. But the folks will see it seamlessly. Indeed. It'll just be carrying. They won't know the difference. But no. Uh, looking for when we come back, we'll have some stories. So I kind of go tuned. through life that way, just not knowing the difference. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, if you are enjoying the Impact Nations podcast and you have not yet subscribed, then what's the matter with you? Get with the program. Uh, we are here on YouTube Live and on Facebook every Thursday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. That's where we are in the mountain time. Uh, and we'd love for you to join us every week. If you're on YouTube, uh, best thing is hit subscribe. But then after you hit subscribe, a little bell comes up, hit that bell. Uh, so you're going to get notifications on your device to tell you that we've just gone live. Because actually, we do go live from time to time doing something totally unexpected. And yep. you don't want to miss those things, too. Yep. Um, or head to impactnations.com slash podcast. Uh, there's a whole bunch of buttons, subscribe buttons at the top for your favorite podcast, audio podcast feeder. Uh, and that way, it'll get delivered every week to your device. Uh, you don't even have to go looking for it. It'll just be there for your commute. And you can get this teaching as you drive to work or whatever. Or and as you, you can do go back dishes. to other seasons. Like Indeed. we did a yeah. season on the mystery of Christ. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You can, you can go at yeah. it that way too. Yeah, if you're liking the uh, kind of the chapter by chapter, verse by verse look at uh, one of the Gospels, then you can go right back to our very first season, which was the book of John too. So um, anyway, there's loads there. Check it out. Thank you so much for being a part of the Impact yeah. Nations family. Thanks for being with us today. Have yourself a great week. God bless. Bye-bye.